Hey there, Leadheads. This is Lefty. Before we get into this awesome interview with Chief Warrant Officer retired Greg Coker, which if you're just tuning in to hear the announcement of who won the contest, you're going to cut yourself short. You're going to do yourself a disservice if you don't listen to this entire episode because it's an awesome interview with Greg and it's a two-part episode. We went so long I had to cut it up into two parts. So this is part one and our pre-show announcement here is going to be the winner of the Talking Lead and Friends Freedom Giveaway. So if you missed out on this, you've been living under a rock because we ran it all through the month of September. It was a huge giveaway. We had over $6,000 in prizes that is going to one lucky leadhead. One person wins it all, and we're going to find out who that is coming up. Uh, but a big thanks to everyone, all of our partners that took part in this giveaway. We couldn't have done it without everybody chipping in with the awesome prizes. Firebird Targets, big thanks to Firebird Targets. STA Blades, Jared over at STA Blades. Our friends over at Enforce and Vortex for the weapon lights and the optics. Tactical RX, Brett over there for the awesome iPro. Walker Ears. For the Ear Pro, the ATAX electronic earbuds that Walker Ears put up. Defiant Munition, supplying the 9mm and the 5.56 ammo. Kraken Case Company for their awesome Sigma rifle case that they put up. Seal One, Seal One and Done. So you got a cleaning kit, CLP kit, and a cleaning rod kit. The winner's going to get that. And then, of course, this was in celebration of 10 years of Talking Lead and the release of our new logo, designed by our good friends over at Black Tie Digital Marketing. And they also helped us put together uh, the media for this giveaway. So big thanks to Black Tie over there. And uh, Dipstick Branding for the t-shirt and hat that the winner is going to receive with the new Talking Lead logos on those. And then, of course, our buddies over at Keltech, Matt and Chad, uh, putting together those awesome pictures, the promotional pictures that we had, and Kiltech for supplying the RDB Defender Rifle, the P-15 Pistol, and the KS-7 Shotgun, Kiltech. And then none of this would have been possible without the gang over at Mission First Tactical, uh, putting this whole Gleam giveaway together for you guys to enjoy and have an opportunity to be the boss at the range with all these awesome prizes that everybody put up and they put in with mission first tactical, their new bags that they have their new, their new acro bags. So one super lucky winner is going to get all this, the mission first tactical drinkware, the custom holster for the P 15 uh, mission first throwing some mags in there. Now, of course this winner still has to be eligible. So, when we announce the winner's name, and we're not going to say the full name here, but we will get in touch with the winner, uh, you're going to have to prove that you are legally eligible for these prizes. And if you're not, then we're going to go and pick another winner. So here it is. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the winner is, he's from Pennsylvania, and his name is Christopher L. Christopher L. from Pennsylvania is the winner. 
and don't shoot me emails contact us saying hey i haven't heard from you we will contact you via the the email that you provided in the contest and if you didn't give us a valid email and we don't hear from you we're gonna give you two weeks get two weeks to get in touch with us if not then we're going to pick another winner so uh, we're going to contact you via that email address so be looking for it and uh, make sure you respond back to us and we'll tell you all the information that we need for you to verify your eligibility so there you go. Congratulations, and thank you to all you leadheads that took part in this. This is one of our most successful promotions that we've done, and it's all thanks to you leadheads spreading the word and participating, listening, and that's how you win here on the Talking Lead Podcast. So one more thing, leadheads, before we get into this episode with Greg Coker. And again, you're going to want to listen to this episode. Greg is a former AH-6 pilot with the 160th SOAR. He's got some great stories about his time in the military. He even got shot down. You're going to hear that story. His book, Death Waits in the Dark, Six Guns Don't Miss. It's an awesome book, so you're going to want to hear him talk about that. You're going to want to go to Amazon and get it. Uh, And then, of course... He makes knives. He's a knife maker, a custom knife maker. So we're going to talk about Blades for Brothers, his uh, his company that he started to help his uh, fellow military first responders, uh, men and women. So, uh, But before we do that, big announcement. Give a big leadhead welcome to Talking Lead's newest sponsors, Whiskey River Beef, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Prentice Holt is joining us to make this big announcement, owner of Whiskey River Beef. Uh, some of you longtime leadheads probably know him as P-Dog. <laughs> I think you've probably outgrown that name by now. <laughs> I think I like it, but yeah, I believe that's uh, I believe that's something of the past, Marty. That was our younger days, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. When we were wild and free. Prentice has started a new company, and it's a local farm that he's got here. It's a family-owned farm, and it's called Whiskey River Beef, and there's a there's a rhyme and reason to the name, but you guys are going to be excited about this because we're all meat eaters on this show, on the Talking Lead podcast. We love our beef. Tell us about Whiskey River Beef. Marty, thank you again for the opportunity, and uh, this is super, super exciting for us. So, uh, you know, Whiskey River Beef came about from the idea that getting back into hobby farming was going to be really fun. Well, boy, it's been really challenging, but really, really rewarding for us, too. Uh, So we came up with the idea that Whiskey River Beef, farm to table supplier of quality nurtured beef, would be a huge hit for those, you know, who have uh, healthy lifestyles, who have busy lifestyles, who like the idea of being able to uh, fill their freezer and and rather go pay these crazy grocery store prices, just walk oh out my and gosh. a succulent steak uh, or, or a pack of hamburger and hit the grill and life's good, right? Yeah. But we wanted to kind of take that to another level. Uh, aside of, uh, you know, food serving as a form of medicine and playing a crucial role in uh, nurturing resilient, resilient and thriving communities and lifestyles, we wanted to change this up and go, hey, so not only are we grass fed, 
But the beauty of our farm being located in whiskey country in the foothills of Middle Tennessee, <laughs> yeah. uh, we also add to the diet of being whiskey mash fed and finished along with being grass fed and finished. So the this benefit of being of mash fed, and again, you guys can guess which whiskey company here in Tennessee that this could possibly be coming from. We're not going to name <laughs> names, um, but uh, it adds a whole nother flavor to the to the beef. Yeah, the flavor profile is phenomenal. You know, beef is great as it is. I'm a, I'm a huge red meat eater, but but the the flavor profile as a as a whole. Uh, is just phenomenal. And, and it, you know, the, the nutritional value, surprisingly enough, the nutritional value that goes into our beef is very important to us because of the farm to table aspect and the healthy lifestyle. Uh, I've had this stuff looked at, wet, wet lab tested. It, it just, it just adds a whole nother layer of nutrition and flavor. I yeah. mean, how, how can you lose with something like that? You can't, you can't, it's a win-win. You know, that's right. Drunk beef is the best. <laughs> <laughs> Drunk beef is always the best. Drunk best. So uh, you, I had the opportunity, uh, you and I today got the opportunity to travel with you to Whiskey River Farm and, uh, you know, kind of see some of the, the, the farm and the, the cattle that you got there. And, uh, it was very impressive. So I got to say, you know, just right off the bat, you know, I was, I was like, oh, wow, man, I didn't realize your operation was, you know, actually this big. You know, you guys are going to be able to supply nationwide. So what's great about your services, it doesn't matter if you're in Tennessee, you could be any part of the country and you guys are able to, you know, with your shipping uh, process that you have and packing process, you know, get people fresh beef, you know, within, you know, whatever the shipping time is within a day, a couple of days, you know, they can have absolutely. So from the website to order it to their doorstep. Boom. That's right. That's right. So our beef is flash frozen at processing. Uh, at minus 10 degrees, we feel like the flash freezing piece of it, uh, is, is the, is for the best nutritional value as well. And, and you guys do something else that's, that you're not going to get from just your regular old, you know, going to the the supermarket or butcher is, you know, you, you let that stuff dry age for 14 days. A minimum of 14. Absolutely. Uh, our average is about 14 days. It dry ages. We found that's the magical number uh, for for the full flavor profile of our beef, and that's what we've been sticking to. I mean, it's it's just simply fantastic. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I can't wait for you leadheads to to get this to your doorstep. You can go on Whiskey River's website. It's whiskeyriverbeef.com, and you can go there and see the different packages that they have that you guys can order. Absolutely. Thank you, Marty. So, uh, we do. We offer a basically a farmer's recommendation, which is going to be what we call shares. Uh, shares are uh, purchasing uh, portions of a cow, whether it be an eighth, a quarter, a half, or a whole. We are in the process of uh, adding to our inventory for individual bundle sales. So if they go to the website, uh, they can take a peek at the store and look at what we're offering. Uh, we'll have some more fulfillment going on here very shortly, uh, but we can even take deposits that will secure spots for 2024 for our beef shares. Nice. There's there's a lot of description about the variations of the beef shares, and those are certainly uh, our big farmer recommendations for this time of year, well, all year, and and for most of the folks who are who are living a busy lifestyle. So uh, it's certainly a, a win-win all the way around. Definitely. So guys, go check them out on their website. 
and they just started the Instagram. So you go follow them on Instagram, and this is how we're going to know that uh, that you guys are, are listening to this and and that you heard the message. You go to at Whiskey River Life on Instagram. That's W H I S K E Y R I V E R L I F E. There's no underscores or anything, right, Prentice? No, no underscores. It's just Whiskey River Life for Instagram and Whiskey River Beef for Facebook. For the Facebook. And then uh, you're going to have links on your website that they can go and, and link in with, with all this too. But Leadheads, go to the Instagram. Let him know how much you appreciate him jumping on board, being sponsors of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. And go to the website and order some beef. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to regret it. I've tasted it. It's fabulous. And I want more. <laughs> I want some more, Prentice. So eat more beef, buddy. Eat more beef. Hey, filling the freezer is certainly worthwhile. But there are big things coming outside of what we're talking about here with Whiskey River. And we'll make those announcements in the future as they become available. Excited to have you guys on board, Prentice. And really appreciate the support for the show and for the Leadhead Brigade. Man, it's our pleasure, and we're certainly excited to be a part of this, a part of the community. We we just we couldn't be any more excited and or happy. So thank you so much for the opportunity, guys. That's right, and and don't be surprised if there might be some giveaways in the future too, Leadheads. Just saying, just saying, and some discount codes. Little- Little Birdie's been talking, I'd say That's so. That's right. So it depends, depends on your reaction. So, guys, go and show him the love on the Instagrams. Let him know that you heard him here and you're interested. Go to the website and see what they've got to offer. Give them an order. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marty. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, Prentice, the, the show is about to begin. So, Leadheads, without further ado, our very special guest, Chief Warrant Officer, retired greg coker knife maker author and just an amazing storyteller so roll that beautiful bean footage mission first tactical is a proud sponsor of the talking lead podcast and the leadhead brigade so this was your wife's decision not yours though I just, I need it cleaned out. I said, okay. So I called JJ, Jared. Yeah. I said, hey, I need some help, man. So he came over and we got it all cleaned out. And he's, you know, he's like, what's up? And I said, I don't know. She won't tell me. And so the next Thursday morning, I was, I got a little knife shop there in half of a garage, two car garage. Yeah. Dude pulls up. I opened the door. I was like, what do you want? <laughs> just back you know he says oh, I'm, I'm here to insulate I said insulate what he goes that building right there I said on whose authority 
He goes, oh, Mrs. Coker? I said, oh, okay. I started laughing, you know. Went over and hugged his neck, shook his hand. <laughs> she had it all spray foamed, and then she hired a, a carpenter, a contractor. And they came the very next day, started framing stuff up. and We're going to have a bunkhouse in there, so it'll sleep for it'll sleep four dudes. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And they come in. I know how familiar you are with the nonprofit, but so. No, we're going to talk about that. I want to, I want you to talk about that on the show. Tell us, tell us more about and all about it. So yeah, this is going to be the new blades for brothers shop. It's, it's going to be awesome, man. It's, yeah, it's, it sounds like it. I'm pretty excited. It's going to be cool. It sounds like your wife got it all under control. <laughs> she always does. That's <laughs> nice. That's nice. Yeah. Somebody you can rely on there, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm blessed. And yeah, she's cool. Good. She's pretty so you, hot, too. She's pretty smoking hot. Pretty smoking hot. Well, you better not get her on camera then, because. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, she's more welcome to join us if you want her to. Absolutely. Yeah, she can hop on. You know who Dale Brisby is, by chance? Dale Brisby? Yeah. It kind of sounds familiar. YouTube and Snapchat. He's got like a hundred jillion followers, but he, he does rodeo Western. He's got a show on Netflix also called oh. how to be a cowboy. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. That that's our son. <laughs> that's your son. Yeah. Well, it's Edie's son. It's I'm married to his mom. Okay. How yeah, to be a cowboy. She, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Dale Brisby. Yeah. He's funny, man. He is just, he's got it going on, but, my wife Edie, she has a commercial embroidery company, and we embroider all of his hats. Oh, nice! We got a pretty cool operation. We got a couple of big CNC machines, embroidery machines. Very yeah, nice. it's fun. Well, I'm not that popular, so. <laughs> no, me either. <laughs> me either. We just do what she we does. can do with uh, with what we've got. You know. Yes. Yeah. Make the best. So, what's your background, brother? My background. Um, and then I got into the huh. I'll be doing. Did that for several years and got tired of working for the government and uh, got out of that, got into the um, nice. Uh, so, did that for several years and got tired of that. And decided I wanted to do my own thing, so I got in. I was doing this, doing this podcast. Started this podcast about ten years ago, almost eleven years ago now. Huh? And uh, just a hobby, just something I enjoyed doing, and then been doing this full time. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I mean it's not as cool as your background, but that's uh, that's the day in the life of just a regular old Joe right there. Yeah, me too. Just another day at the office. Yeah, well, you got a pretty interesting background though. So, <laughs> yeah, that's why you do all these podcasts and shows and write books and people sing songs about you, man. Oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they probably got my picture out on their Ipsic targets at the range. Oh, I doubt that. Maybe <coughs> overseas they do, but not here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I lived in, well, I was stationed at Fort Campbell for 20 years, right there in Clarksville. Yeah, you just up the road. I'm in Murfreesboro. Yeah. We used to rodeo there in Murfreesboro, go to ropings. And I was a calf roper. Oh, okay. Um, he, yeah, I rodeoed before. Did you do that at Murfreesboro or did you do that at Shelbyville? Everywhere. All over? Yeah. But they had ropings there in Murfreesboro and then down in Trinity, little bitty Trinity, Tennessee is kind of yeah about forty miles from Nashville. They do jackpot ropings on Sundays, and okay. yes, it was a uh, dang. Oh, actually, yeah, I still there's a trophy bag sitting on my saddle right there. It's Tennessee Valley Ropers Association. Look at that. Yeah, small world. 1990, year end champion. 1990, I would have been at MTSU then, yeah. Yeah, that's when I was at MTSU. Good times. Did they do that? Um, they did that close to the college, didn't they? Didn't they have like an arena? Yeah, they've got a really nice facility. They've done it up, yeah. Since then, when's yeah, the last time had, you were out here? They'd have the finals. I don't. Some association would have their finals in there every year. Yeah, we'd go to the finals and try to make some money. Well, you must have done pretty good at it. You traveling around all over. Yes, sir. I did. Yeah, before I came in the army, I went pro. I was a bulldogger and calf roper. Okay, so you traveled the circuit, huh? Yes, sir. You got the bell the bell buckles to to prove it. Yes, sir. I do. You got them big, giant, <laughs> gold, no. shiny thingies. Oh goodness! Now you're you're in Texas, right? Yes, we're about two hours west of Fort Worth. Okay, you and Jared are real close. Yeah, we're twenty minutes away. Oh, okay. Yeah, y'all are real close then. Yeah. 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 Come down, man. We'll shoot some pigs. I shot a pig last night. Did you really? Yeah, out my back door. <laughs> <laughs> Rub it in, man. Yeah. There were about, God, I bet there were 30, 35 pigs at that. I got a feeder. We had feeders here yeah. in Texas. And uh, I, I love to watch the deer. And, of course, you know, I don't know. It's for the grandkids and veterans. I'll bring vets in here. And yeah. Let them hunt, shoot deer, shoot pigs. And, yeah, it's good fellowship therapy. Yeah, very good. Introducing the Extreme Duty Polymer Mag from Mission First Tactical. MFT brings long glass fiber technology to its new Extreme Duty Polymer Mag, giving it the best strength and durability for polymer magazine bodies to date. With military and law enforcement demanding reliability, the Extreme Duty Polymer Mag is 50% stronger and three times more impact resistant compared to traditional glass-filled nylon. The four-way anti-tilt self-lubricating follower, constant internal curve design, and coated USGI spec stainless steel spring together keep rounds feeding reliably. Additionally, the oversized bolt catch increases bolt catch clearance. We have added a flared floor plate, but kept the slim bottom design, which gives excellent drop protection and ease of handling, while still allowing for fitment in double and triple magazine pouches. Toolless disassembly and double safety releases stop accidental ammo dumps and makes cleaning a snap. 
A thickened lower exterior adds to dimensional rigidity and maintained internal geometry, while well-defined front and rear rib finger impressions create aid in handling even with gloved hands. And texture blocks on both sides of the body are ideal for thumb placement. This duty mag also features dual-sided flat body panels for a variety of printed or laser designs. The Extreme Duty Polymer Magazine is optimized for use in Colt-Spec AR15M4 platforms, but is also compatible with other platforms such as HK416 variants, British SA80, FM SCAR16, and more. To find out more, visit www.missionfirsttactical.com. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about all that, and then, of course, we want to talk Blades on this yeah. episode with you, Greg. So we'll just go ahead and start. I mean, we, we've got some good content here anyway, so we'll just go ahead and let her roll. Is that, is that all right with you? Yes, sir. Okay. You're the boss. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I, think, I think your wife's the boss. That's who the boss yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the, the voice that you hear there is our special guest today, Greg Coker. And Greg is, he wears many hats and has worn many hats. Uh, he is a retired chief warrant officer. He flew with the Night Stalkers, the 160th SOAR Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Did I get that right? Yes, sir. <laughs> airborne. Airborne, all the way, baby. We're an airborne unit. I had... um Al Mamprey on the show a couple of years ago. We met him at SHOT Show. And mm -hmm. Al was one of the Band of Brothers, one of the original Band of yes. Brothers. He was, a, he was a medic. Yes, sir. And we had the honor and privilege of having uh, Al on 101st Airborne. Dang, that's cool, man. Yeah, the, the greatest generation back then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're we're just about all those guys are just about all gone, unfortunately. They are, yeah. I, I think too, when you know historians look back, start to write about our generation, my generation. I don't know we may be coined as the second best generation. The second best. Yeah, I mean we've been at war for twenty years, man. I know 20. a lot longer. I don't think there's been any generation, you know, in modern history that's. In our obviously our country that's been at war that long, no, mm -mm. never. So never will be. It's gonna be yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see how and history's already starting to be written because, like you said, you know, twenty years. Yes, yeah. that's, that's a long time. There's been a lot of movies, a lot of books written. And speaking yes, of books, sir. you're also an author. Greg's also yes, an author, and uh, uh, I wrote a children's book too. Oh, really? Yes, sir. With your daughter, yeah. right? After I finished my book, yeah, my daughter approached me. I was a couple months after I finished Death Waits in the Dark. She goes, hey, you want to write another book? And I said, no, I do not. <laughs> she goes, how about a children's book? And I says, okay. So, yeah, we... Why is it a different book? You went from one to the other as far as the, the content yeah. goes there, but... Um, talk about the, the book that you wrote, the, the first book, uh, death waits in the dark, death, death waits yeah. in the dark. And um, six guns. What was that? Six guns. Don't miss <laughs> S G D M. Very nice. Colonel Beckwith, Charlie Charlie Beckwith coined that 
name for us in 1981 when the unit was rehearsing for the second attempt to rescue the hostages in Iran. Hmm. I don't know how many people know about that, but yeah, we, after the catastrophe on Desert One, then Beckwith came back, went to Congress, went to the heads and Joint Chiefs and said, I want Army helicopter pilots flying Army helicopters. And that's when the 160th was born. So, yeah, it was AHs and Blackhawks. Black so you're almost in at the beginning of, of when they were formed. When you, because you went in service, what, in the mid 80s? 86, yes, sir. In 86? I didn't get Okay. I, I found this on the web for 86 yesterday. Check it out. Is that your election? That was Siri. Siri? Oh, Siri. That's crazy. How do I turn it? They're listening, buddy. They're listening to us, everything we say. Listening. So they, he formed a very rapidly in extremis army unit. Of course, they took them all from the 101st and took Cobra guys. That's And they had loaches, OH-6s at the time, little birds, and put miniguns on them and... From the story that I was told, they were rehearsing out in the western United States, out in the desert, getting ready to go back to Iran. And two H's landed. Colonel Beckwith was, was standing there. Of course, guys, they get out, and they're all dirty, dusty, and nasty. And, yeah. Because that's who we are. <laughs> we just, that's the environment, he, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he looks at him. Of course, the two miniguns, you know, he says, okay. I'm going to refer to you and call you guys the six guns from this day forward. He said, you look like the old gunfighters from the old West. You know, you're dirty and nasty and your helicopter's got too many guns. They look like six guns. <laughs> too so many like, guns. Yeah. So that's like the old we Western six gun shooters. Yes, sir. Yeah. One on each hip. Yeah. The lone. Yeah. Ranger. The book was, Oh my goodness, man. It's, it was 15 years in the making and I, I had some very close friends really beat me up over the years. Of course, George hand and Kyle lamb, Sergeant major Kyle lamb. He lives down groups. here in, uh, the, in yeah. down below Nashville. Kyle's your neighbor, man. I know. I know. We, we keep missing each other at uh, Royal range. He, oh, he, yeah. he, he and art or uh, my buddy art are good friends. And, um, I miss him quite a bit. He's like, oh, you just missed Lamb. He was in here. Yeah. He's a hoot, man. That's what I've heard. I've been wanting to get him on the show. So, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he needs to get on the show. He, he's a lot of – he's a funny cat. Oh, Good yeah. dude. That's what I've heard. But And uh, he's a new knife maker also. Yeah. Uh, it sounds mm-hmm. like a lot of you guys are getting into the, the forging business. Yes, sir. Yeah, so – and I was after I retired. I was an instructor for Kyle at Viking Tactics, and of course we were. Oh, that's cool. You know, we've been we've been good good buddies for since the nineties, and and he he always tell me we get talk about writing, and he's like, "You need to write a book, Gravy." And I was like, "I'm not writing a damn book. You know, I don't want to be that guy, and I don't want no, I don't." And he would always say, and this has stuck with me for many 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 years. Now I tell it to. The people that you know contact me and are like, "Hey, I'm thinking about writing a book, a veteran, or a, a wife, or a mother, or whatever." And, right. 
But Kyle would always tell me, he's like, if it's if it ain't written, it never happened. That's true. Like, hmm. The palest ink is is better than the world's best memory. Absolutely. Something like that. I don't know what that exact saying is, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I thought about that a lot. And yeah, and, and the good Lord, he, he put me in, I mean, so many of these places at different times. And I, you know, I'd be like, okay, you know, what What do I expect next? But, well, you know, I think that's a <clears throat> a bad stigma that the, the military instills in our soldiers, our men and women, you know, that you have to be the silent professional and that, you know, you can't talk about anything that you've that you've done over there you know and i think and and like you said you know there's more and more people coming forward and starting to write books but i think it's it's more therapeutic than anything for it's cathartic it's very very therapeutic it helps you deal with the uh, atrocities and you know things that you had to deal with the the horror and you know the, the stress yeah yeah, the demons, the dragons, the demons, yeah. the dragons, and it helps to talk. You got to talk. You got to get it out. And I think that's probably been one of the uh, the worst things that the military could have done is you know really make you feel bad about coming forth and talking about your your time and your service. Now I understand there's classified things and stuff like that. That oh sure sure, but there's plenty of other that they could still get out there and talk about, and it helps it helps civilians like myself. You know, understand that's never been through that before. You bet. It helps you bet. Re- helps us better relate to our servicemen and women in the real world when we run into them out on the street. Yes. Yeah, and it's you know, the more I thought about it and and I, I'm a Christian and and I prayed about it a bunch and and then I, I don't remember how Gio, Gio and I have been friends for many, many years and he was writing for one of the big internet companies and yeah and uh, he goes hey coke oh no i stopped i was going i was doing some training out in new mexico some firearms training one year and stopped in albuquerque and spent the night with geo that's that's what happened and we stayed up all night man talking and catching up you know and so i started telling he's like hey man tell me about the dam or tell me about this mission or t-. so i you know, I was all night you know i was like yeah so I leave, get back home, and he's like, hey, Coke, why don't you write a couple paragraphs for me? I want to put this stuff out there, you know. I said, no, George, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. He's like, come on, man. And he, I mean, he stayed after me for about a year. Yeah. Yeah, it took a year just to, and I wrote a couple pages about, I think the dam was the first one. Anyway, I wound up, I believe it was soft rep he was working for, writing for. Yeah. yeah, very, very, very cool writer George Hand, and uh, yeah, so I wrote some stories, and then he kept, you know, pimping me for more. He's like, bro, and then the editors are emailing me, and they're like, hey, we had like a hundred thousand hits on the story. Can you write some more? <laughs> da, 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 da. And I wound up writing probably seven or eight stories, and. And George called me one day, goes, Coke, we got enough for a book, brother. And he was, you know, he was really asking me to write too. And yeah, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be a part of these historical events. And, you know, I I was just 
right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time, however you want to put it. But yeah. That's where I was. And it is, uh, it was nothing I volunteered for, trust me. But yeah, I've heard, a, I've heard a little work. story about that. It wasn't something that you volunteered for. <laughs> you want to talk uh, about that? I don't, I can't recall, man. <laughs> I have no knowledge. I don't think that made it in the book, did it? <laughs> did it? Uh, did it have to do with a train? It might have had to do something with, yeah, with your old um, spaghetti western mentality, yeah. <laughs> no, we're, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah. skip that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got, it slipped on a podcast somewhere. and I think that's where I heard it. Yeah. It's out yeah, there. A it's bunch of there. my buddies like, dude, you got to put this in the book. Yeah, I said, man, I might want to run for office one day or county commissioner. Or, Make it even you know. better. That would get you elected in a heartbeat, definitely. I know. It wouldn't in Texas. <laughs> it, yeah, definitely. Definitely wouldn't Texas. Have you always, were you born and raised in Texas? No. My dad was in the military, and I was born in Santa Maria, California. He was stationed out there at uh, Lompoc and Edwards Air Force Base in 1960. And, yeah, and then we moved around. My parents divorced in, I think, like, 68 or 69. Mother was from central Illinois. Okay. So that's where we that's where we wound up, and then I let I got kin folk down here, and my grandmother time lived down here, and <clears throat> so I the day after I graduated high school, I left, came down here, and yeah, just trying to figure life out. Yeah, that's yeah. what you gotta do. Now your dad, uh, you said he was uh, at Edwards Air Force Base back in the sixties. Yes. Yeah. Is he part of any UFO programs that, or anything like no. that? At that time, he was a missile man. Worked, yeah, missile projects. And that Lompoc had a missile base there on the coast. And, and yeah, he did 30 years. He retired as a command master chief. Ah, okay. Yeah. So was he yeah, a he big was, factor he, in, uh, in your success in the military? Now, I mean, I know you've. You probably would have eventually joined anyway, but, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He influenced and, and, you know, kind of gave me, guided me in the path, but I, I wanted to fly. I was a child of the sixties, of course. And, you know, of our two TV channels back then, you know, it was the Vietnam war and it was the helicopter war. So as a kid, I'd sit there and, you know, watch these whirly birds flying around. Yeah. I Hughes. drew, yep, Hueys, Loaches, Cobras, and I drew pictures of them, you know, all kinds of stuff when I was a kid. But, yeah, and I wanted to fly, and the Army was the only vehicle at the time. I didn't have a degree, so Air Force, Marine, Navy, you have to have a four-year college degree. And, of course, the Army, they their saying is from high school to flight school. You can literally yeah. graduate high school and then start flight school after basic, you know, that summer. So and that's he, he recommended I enlist and that's what I did. So. Yeah. And then you twenty two twenty two years? Yes, sir. Twenty two years retired. Good for you. And you said your dad did thirty years, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And he was um he was in the Air Force. Air Force. Yeah, Air Force. So did y'all yes, have he, did y'all have some uh, interesting conversations between the two of you with the 
the Air Force and Army. We did. We still do. <laughs> he only lives he lives less than two hours from us. So. Oh nice. So you still have your dad with you. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be eighty five here next week. Wow, he's young. He must have had you real young then. Yeah, he was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, happy geez. birthday to to Papa Coker. Yes, sir. October third. October that's coming up, man. That, that's just around the corner. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's ironic. I said, well, you know, that's the anniversary of the Battle of Mogadishu, too, Pop. And he's like, I know it. So, yeah. Now, what about him? Have you ever encouraged him to write a book? You know, I never even thought about it. What? That's interesting that you said that. Yeah, I figured that would be, like, one of those top things, man. Yeah, you need yeah. to get him aside and start interviewing him and and get his you know, memoirs now. I'm going to start doing that, Lefty. Yeah. Great idea. I mean, like I said, I mean, we're losing those guys left and right, so that generation is... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we're losing when we need to hold on to it, because when that generation goes, you know, all their, their values and morals are going, too. Yes. And always remember, if it ain't written, it never happened. It never happened. That's right. Yeah. That's a great saying. I Back like to that. the book. <laughs> I kind of get off on these... No, that's fine. Too, this is great. Too many head injuries, so I kind of, you know, something shiny here. Yeah, I get squirrel. I chase squirrels all the time. A squirrel, <laughs> you know, a space shuttle. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, so, George, it, it took me about a year. I wrote a bunch of stories, short stories, but they were just, they were getting jillions and jillions of hits over the Internet. And Geo was like, hey, man, we got enough for a book, you know. Well, on, on 9-11, on that day, I started a journal and wrote in that journal every day for eight years. Really? Every, day, every mission, every emotion, every pissed off. Now, this moment. has got to be, so if you, in the, in the 86, and this was 2001, so you just started doing it. What, what spurred you to want to, what in your mind clicked as I got I to gotta do a memoir here? I got to record this. That this was in fact going to be history and I wanted to capture it. And I didn't want it. I didn't want it to be lost. And I, I wrote it for my children. And when I retired and got home, I put it in my gun safe and I told them, I said, there it is. You can't get it till I'm dead. <laughs> Cause there's, there's classified stuff in it, you know? Yeah. I just don't want that stuff getting out. I probably should go in there and redact it, but I'm not going to. No, don't do that. And, uh, don't do that. So, yeah, that I started that journal, man, on that day. And wow. and if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have had near the content or, you know, the uh, very detailed s- stories. Yeah, because uh, you go back and read those and then that, gets the yeah. memory going you're like oh yeah i remember that yes yeah so it's great to have that jog my memory or add things and and uh and again i just i did not want to write this man i just did not want to and why so hesitant why why were you why are you so against it well in the army special operations community we take our mottos very seriously and one of them is the quiet professional and I take that seriously. Yeah. And 
But I, again, no, I just struggle with it. Yeah. I struggle with it. But, you know, here in the last five years, 10 years, really, crap, everybody's writing a book. 20, you know? yeah, the past 20 years. 20 years. And, and there, at the time, there had only been two books written about the 160th. That's it. There was no information out there about the unit, our unit. Yeah. So that was another thing. And I guess and, the first time I heard about them was... Um, probably Black Hawk Down. But no, about five, six... Well, yeah, yeah, but um, I was at Rock Castle up in Kentucky. Yeah, I used to shoot there. Yeah, they used to have a night stalker um, mm-hmm. event deal. So I, I may have met you during one of those. You know what? Probably a Tony Ely... And yeah, some old 160th and fifth group guys. Yeah, I'd in. ask um, Jared if you knew I dropped a name. I don't want to do it over there because he may not want it on the air, but I had dropped a name and asked asked him to ask you if you knew him or not. So I didn't know if he did that or not. I'll I'll ask you off air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that. Hey there, Leadhead Brigade. Lefty here with some important news for you. Forecasters from the University of Arizona warn that 2023 will be a very active hurricane season and they're asking people to get prepared. They're expecting the number of major hurricanes this year to be similar to 2017, which saw the extremely intense and damaging hurricanes that we all heard about, Harvey, Irma, and that nasty old Maria. How bad can it get? Well, when Hurricane Ida hit the Gulf Coast, it destroyed countless homes and left many without access to food, clean water, millions lost power. Most didn't have power for weeks. The floods that followed the hurricane washed out the roads, made it impossible for grocery stores to restock their shelves. Families were left hungry and desperate, waiting for help that was slow to arrive. But what if you didn't have to be reliant on the government, FEMA, your neighbor, grocery stores during these crises? The answer is simple. Be prepared with emergency food kits from 4Patriots. Their long-lasting, delicious food options are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it the most. 4Patriots survival food kits are hand-packed in the USA. They last 25 years. They come packed inside covert storage totes. They include a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. They've even got some snacks that are tasty. And they're backed by thousands of five-star customer reviews. Just go check out their website, 4Patriots.com, and read them for yourself. 4Patriots Survival Food is not just for natural disasters. Because in today's world of uncertain supply chains and unpredictable emergencies, it's more important than ever to have a backup plan. Whether it's a temporary power outage, a winter blizzard, or rising food costs, which we're all feeling that these days, right? You can rest easy knowing that you have a reliable source of food to see you through it. And right now, you can go to 4Patriots.com and use this exclusive code, LEADHEAD, all caps, LEADHEAD, one word, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, not just their food kits. So go check them out, 4Patriots.com. Use the code LEADHEAD to get 10% off your first purchase of 4Patriots Survival Food. That's 4Patriots.com, guys. Use the code LEADHEAD and get that 10% off. So, yeah, so that that's kind of where I was in that process. And and so I just, actually, Edie and I were sitting in the den one evening, and we are talking about writing. She used to teach English, and, and she's just a, an amazing writer and a wordsmith and you know she's like i'll help you i said okay she goes look here's how i want you to think about this 
I want you to think about this, that you will write this for your children and for your grandchildren. This is your legacy. And also for the American people. Yeah. They, they're hungry for information. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, they are. and then, and then she added, and for the other guys that are thinking about this, that you can, you know, mentor, lead, and help. And man, I've had dozens and dozens contact me. Hey, Greg, I want to. I said, good. Yeah, here's what you do. You write a sentence a day or a paragraph a week, or and before you know it, man, you, you've got a story. And yeah. do this for your children and your grandchildren. Absolutely. Can you imagine if you know World War One, World War Two? men and women would have written their stories down and, and done that. Can you imagine the, the education that we could have gained from that and, and understanding and how yeah. much better our military would be? Yeah. Even Vietnam. Oh That's, yeah. I mean, the couple books written about helicopters, you know, um, Hugh Mills, you know, famous Loach pilot, and some of the other guys, Holy cow, man. I mean, we just, I was a sponge reading those things and, hang on every word that they wrote. Yeah. And it helped me as a little bird guy later in life. It sure did. Yeah. And I pray that in no on November tenth, out in Mesa, Arizona, they're doing the Little Bird fly in. And I'm taking a aircraft out there. A friend of mine's got a loach. Oh nice. And we're taking it out there and I'm gonna fly that dude into the Little Bird fly in. And Mr. Hugh Mills is going to, because I always, always wanted to fly with him. So we're going to get to, we're going to get to do that. So tell me about Hugh Mills. What's, what's what's he known for? He, he flew loaches in Vietnam and yeah, he wrote a book, uh, low level hell is, is what he wrote. And just, he's just a cool, cool guy. Yeah. He just, I've known him. I've never met him, but we've talked and yeah. I don't remember how we met on the internet or something, reached out to him. And, but yeah, just well, a neat guy. So that's coming up um, pretty soon. You know, yes. what, you know what the, the, what's better than owning a little bird is having a friend that owns one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's like the yeah. boat, you know, what's better than owning a boat, having a friend that owns one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And this, this little bird, it, it's really cool. I don't, a buddy of mine, I, I don't know if he wants me to mention his name or not, so I won't. Sure. Um, he found this helicopter, and I I said, hey, get the historicals. It's, it's part of a pre-buy for aircraft, so you have somebody competent, you know, in maintenance and can read that stuff. And yeah. So he yeah. sent me a copy of it. Well, this helicopter was one of the original B Company, first of the 160th Gunbirds. Oh, wow. 81, 82, 83. Yeah. And I was like, dude, do you realize what you have? He's like, yeah, history. Nope. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. It was cool because some of the crew chiefs were like E3s and E4s back then. They're sergeant majors now. <laughs> you know, tired. <laughs> I reached out to him. I'd take pictures of the logbook and I said, hey, you remember working on this bird? But he, he dedicated the helicopter to Mike Dillon. And and who's Mike? This, this helicopter has a minigun and a rocket pod on it. Oh, it does? Oh, yeah. Functioning? <laughs> yes. Oh, nice. 
So that's where, you know, Mike Dillon helped him out, Dillon Arrow, that produces the M134 minigun. And, but the, the tail number of the helicopter is November. All U.S. aircraft start with an N. Right. And then I think it's, it's 160 Delta Alpha, Dillon Arrow. 160th Dillon Arrow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. Is cool. that the one it's always had, or does does he get no, that custom? He, he registered it. You got it. It as that. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, there's going to be 300 little birds at this deal. Well, be, and where's that going to be? Mesa, Arizona, at the factory. That's where they build. Now it's Boeing, McDonnell, Douglas Hughes. I, I don't know, but that's where they build the Apache and then the AH6 little birds. Dude, that'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Be they yeah, got events our, set up, yeah. or um, is it just a fly-in meet and greet? Or are they going to have like any aerial things going on? Or no, it's just static <clears throat> display and meet and greet. It's the tenth and the eleventh, so Veterans Day. Okay. Um, that, yeah, tenth and eleventh of November. Is that open yes. to the public? No, it's not. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you might, I might get sneaky in if you're around. So yeah, yeah, that that would be something I would definitely love to to attend. That would be awesome. Talking to some yeah, of those guys. It, you, you know, we were talking about you know these other generations and writing and capturing these moments, and you know, I, and I've had tons of guys and young women and ladies and moms and wives. Hey, I'd really like to write. And I said, Hey, just start, just free write. That's what you pay editors for. <laughs> They'll put all that stuff together and make it legible. Yeah. Um, yeah. From start to finish, it was 89 days for me writing that book. This 420 pages. Well, I mean, it was, it was how many years when you started in 2001 until then, you know? Yes. So it was a lot longer than 86 days, you know, that you were working on this yeah. book. Oh, yeah. It's years. Yeah. But you got all your shit together and got it done in 86 days. What's that say about Navy SEALs that write these books? It usually takes them, what, years to write. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> you got yours done in a couple of months. Yeah. That's like I'd tell, you know, my buddies, ground guys, special operations ground guys, I was like, well, if you're really smart, you'd be flying AHs. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you would be a Delta operator, a Ranger, or a special forces, or they all, you know, we poke at each other because we oh, love yeah. each other. Absolutely. That's the fun yeah. part about it, you know, busting each other's chops. Yep. Yeah, if we don't, we'd probably don't like you, so just go away. There you go. That's the prime... <laughs> Prime uh, teller right there if they're not busting your chops. Yes, but sir. the book, you know, I want to talk more as we get into the conversation about about your book, sure. about your your service history. But um, you also started a hobby a few years ago, and I think you've turned it into a business now, sounds like. Um, no, it's a hobby. It's a it's hobby. A hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're, you're running as a nonprofit, is that right? Yes, sir. The Blades right. for Brothers? Yes, sir. Blades for Brothers. Blades for Brothers. So you started forging knives, uh, what, about four or five years ago? No, it was less than two years ago. Actually. So even less. Okay. Wow. Yeah, Jared, JJ called me and 
but I've, I've got several friends that I've met over the years at blade show or shot show. You know, we go there and see what was new or get to talk to industry professionals and tell them, Hey, I need a tool that does this, this, and this, or I need a scope that, you know, or a bullet or whatever oh, yeah. the case. Yeah. So that's where I, I met those fellas and just, just great, great men. And, and, and I've got several friends of mine that after they retired, they start making knives and making tools and things. And yeah. I'm like, man, what are all these guys doing? You know? And so I, and I was just busy with life and I was running my own little company and yeah. And Jared, JJ called me up one. Well, he'd been pestering me. He's like, Hey, I got the forge going. You know, it's August in Texas. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll come over. Call me in October. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not the smartest men on the planet, but we work hard. And so yeah, I went over, drove over one day and, and just, I jumped right in and of course, Jared, great instructor and teacher. And he had been to, he'd been to one kind of school, yeah. a blade smithing school and learn, learn some things. And yeah, I forged out a blade, a, a railroad spike and one, they're cheap and they're easy and they make the, the steel in them is not very good. It's a low carbon steel. Yeah. They're they're cool to learn on and practice on. And I've actually, got uh, my knife back there made from a railroad spike. Oh no, kidding! <clears throat> yeah, this is my very don't laugh, man. <laughs> so this is my very first knife. So you I have made. your very first one, nice. That's a railroad. Spike. Jared didn't have his. He didn't. He didn't. He said, he, "I was like, do you still have your very first knife?" He's like, "No." Oh, I think I, yeah, I he think, made that back in high school. Well, I think he, I think he said that it, it's like morphed over the years, and he added it to something else, and it turned into something else, or you know, uh, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, I used he has coal forge, and I mean, I, I wanted to learn the, you know, the way they did it three hundred years ago, four hundred years, whatever. So, well, knives yeah, have been have been made for millions of years. Yes, you know, they were yeah. ma- making them out of stones and bones and you know they're still digging yeah. them up to, to this Metals day from the earth that's how you make steel yeah so yeah i hammer forged it and uh so cold this is just kind of in our dna you know it make, is. making knives and blades and sharp thingies sharp stabby thingies weapons it's in our yeah it's in our dna we've been doing it for millions of years tools yeah, look- called tools okay. Yeah, looking back, I was like, you know, I can remember making, I wouldn't call it a knife. I think it was more like a, I don't know what it was, but I found an old lawnmower blade. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. Lawnmower blade. (laughs) Same thing. Got the hacksaw, cut it, you know, then a file. I filed on that thing probably for four or five days, you know, shaping it. And I think probably use some inner tube or raw leather or something made a handle out of yeah. it. And, I did yeah, the same I, thing. I trees with it. And, <laughs> you know? I did the yeah. same thing. My my dad had one of those grinders, one of those stone grinders. Yes. And uh, yeah. there was a pair of, of broken um, hedge clippers. There you go. And yeah. uh, and they were broken in you know two pieces. I was like, ooh, these would make awesome little swords. There you go. So I took it to his grinder, and same thing with the lawnmower blade. One of his old lawnmower blades. I took that and did the exact same thing you did. Got some leather, wrapped a handle, 
down there, right? There's my big machete right there, baby. It's got to be in our DNA. Man. <laughs> it has to be. There's That's no funny. doubt about it. So two years ago, so Jared got you into this. I was thinking that you got Jared into this. So no, he, he got no, you no. into this. Yeah, he'd been going about a year, probably year, not long before that. And man, we both, you know, we just took off, and I, I really enjoyed it. And it's it's therapeutic. It really is. Yeah. Now I know why my all my buddies that I served with are knife makers because it's you get therapy from it. Yeah, it keeps and you busy, keeps you active. It keeps it keeps our brains engaged. And well, I'm thinking about it, so I got a cool story. So yeah. I go see this neurologist every year down in Florida, and I've been seeing him like seven years now due to TBI and a bunch of other junk. And, and I love this guy, Dr. Brett Osborne is his name. But anyway, and then the, when I first get there, I do a bunch of testing, Yeah, you know, all types of, all types of testing. You know, like scanning and. That's uh, written and puzzles and, you know, um, gosh, I can't, the name of them were just on the tip of my tongue. Some kind of cognitive recall stuff. Yes. Cognitive testing. And last year, and Edie, was, she's always with me, but he walks in and he goes, hey, Greg, he said, I don't know what you've been doing, but you need to keep doing it. He says, your test scores have gone off the chart, up. And Edie looked at him and says, well, he wrote a book and he started making knives. So Doc thought about that for a second. And he's like, okay, it's, you know, it's art, writing, and, and knife making. Being it's creative. geometry. It's trigonometry it's you know problem solving it's all these things that keep firing these neurons in our brains yeah it helps yeah so do you feel smarter now than 30 no. years ago <laughs> no i don't <laughs> uh, yeah i think there's some degrad degradation deg i'm degrading <laughs> degrading yeah i think yeah that's a, that's one of our downfalls is we're constantly but dying. I, so I started going to JJ's, you know, every day. Now I'm like, okay, man, I want to you know, teach me how to do this. Let's do this. Let's different techniques and heat treating and how to hammer that blade to a specific shape. And then we started doing stock removal where you take, you know, raw high carbon steel, a bar and cut out your shape and then shape it and grind it. And man, I was just like, okay, man, I'm hooked. You know, I love this. So I reached out to some gentlemen I know in the knife industry. They're all master bladesmiths, uh, Steve Schwarzer, John Horrigan, uh, Bill Harsey. I mean, world-renowned knife makers. And there's others, too. Jim Poor. Yeah, just great. And, and I love this industry because everybody wants to help you. Yeah. Unlike other industries I've been in where they – you want to cut your throat and steal your ideas and said, run away. Yeah. And, but no, everybody's just embraced me. And I ask them a million questions and I call them late at night or early in the morning. And what about this? And what about that? And, you know, and they just, yeah, their patients are just incredible. Incredible. Now, are you going to write a, from, a, I'm sorry, no, you going to write a book on uh, knife making? You know, I am, I've started it. It just makes and sense. It makes sense that you Jim would. Porter, 
Jim Poor inspired me about a month ago. He goes, Greg, you need to write a book and call it My Journey to Knife Making. That's what I'm going to call it. Jim Poor. Jim Poor. Flatland Forge is the name of his company. Okay, so he's a knife maker also? Yes, sir. Yeah, he's a world-renowned horseshoer, knife maker. His company, they make uh, hammers, so forging hammers, horseshoers, you know, that forge shoes, their hammers, tongs, you know, all that all that equipment that horseshoers and knife makers need. So, yeah. Yep, he's out there by Abilene, not far from me. Now, you said you did a lot of uh, roping and steering and... And yeah. all that growing yeah. up too. And did you do some shoeing and did, did that yeah, kind of, did. did that come into play with your knife making? It did. Absolutely. It did. Yes, sir. Yeah. From, I learned to forge horseshoes and fitting, you know, shoes to, to feet or hoofs. And yeah, I, I started out with working with Dilton Emerson. He owns Emerson Horseshoeing Supply now and very renowned Horseshoe Cowboy, uh, Donnie Lefflet, yeah, some of the, uh, another fellow named Junior, but yeah, it was, yeah, and I went back to that. You know, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this and why I did this or how I did it. So, yeah, and and so I'd call these guys. I'd call Chris Williams and Steve Schwartzer and John Horgan and and say, hey, can I come and. You know, watch you. Absolutely. You're not going to watch anything. You're going to do. That's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and I'd go spend a week. I mean, I'd fly out to Oregon, hang out with Bill Harsey, learn how to grind a dagger, hollow grind a dagger, go to Steve Schwartzer's for a week and learn how to make Damascus. And, you know, he's he's one of the world, most world-renowned guys on Damascus steel, you know, how to make all these crazy designs and, uh, Chris Williams went out and worked with him for a week, and again learning how to do forge welded or Damascus steel. Yeah, and um, yeah, I made my first Damascus chef knife out of Chris's. Is that he it there? Owns, yeah, that's three hundred and twenty layers of steel. You can see it. Nice. I my first, and my wife Edie gets every number one. So <laughs> this is my first. Yeah, it was. It's just cool, you know. And Chris owns Wilmot Grinders. Uh, it's a commercial knife grinder. Where's that out of? Out there by Fayetteville, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, Chris and I, Chris and I served together in the army. Yep. And uh, but yeah, I, I just I'd call these fellows and I'd seek out the best. I'm like, hey, I'm you know I'm new. They're like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're very you're very fortunate in in the circles that you travel that you're able to to reach out to those guys during this yeah. this process and have them, you know, as your mentors, you know, kind of speaking. Where the majority of you know us that start off in this don't have, and, and I say us, I'm not a knife maker. I haven't I haven't got into it yet, but again, well, it's something that I'm looking down. at wanting to do. Lefty, come down and we will make some knives. <laughs> We're gonna make some. Sharp, stabby things. <laughs> yeah, hatchets and all kinds of crazy stuff. I want to make swords. I want to make big, yeah, giant, long things. We'll make you a sword. All right. I'm down with that. I'm yes, sir. That. Yeah, it's just, it's been really cool. And so I started, yeah, 
at that point I'd been going about a year and, and I, I mean, yeah, I took half of a two bay garage and made that my shop and you know, I've got a Wilmot grinder in there. I've got a commercial heat treat oven from Paragon and, you know, just, I started getting, buying stuff and making these blades and people paid money for them. I was like, Hey, this is kind of cool, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it makes you feel rewarded. You know, that's where people actually sure. enjoy something that I created. Sure. It does. Yeah. And, and it's cool to look back, you know, like from my, my first knife I made and, and then, you know, making, I mean, here's like, this is one I just finished. This is, I call this my gravy gutter. That's I my like nickname that. is gravy. But this is a Skinner. This is AEBL stainless steel. I like that yeah. pattern on the, on the grip. Yeah. I kind of figured that out and it's, I do it by hand on my grinder and it's just scallops. Yeah. It just makes the knife real grippy when you're, you know, bloody and skinning and and all kind of, you know, cool oh, yeah. stuff like that. But, That's like but a it's nice got hunter, hunter Orange, and then I use this Hunter Orange lanyard, and this lanyard's got reflective tape in it. So, because oh, okay. I'm always worried about losing it. Oh, yeah. You know, that way, you can, if you're looking with a flashlight. I'm waiting for somebody to build in one of those uh, built-in GPS yeah, things. Yeah, I've got one. I lost this last deer season. I still hadn't found it yet. I need to take a metal detector out there, but yes, it was my yeah. my favorite Skinner, and I lost it. Dad, give it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I I just I I got thinking about this a, a bunch, and I'm like, you know what? And a couple guys, and you know, they're like, hey, you make knives? And I'm like, yeah, man, come on over. They come over, hang out. And Jared, come hang out. We cranked the forge up, you know, and then I got a press. I got a coal iron work, 16 ton press and that thing will move some steel, brother. Oh, I'll bet it will. Nah. You make some propellers out of that probably. <laughs> yeah. So I got it. You know, when you're welding steel, you need, I mean, I hand hammered my first Damascus knife. It was a small chef knife. Yeah. It took three days to hammer 84 layers of steel. <laughs> but again, I'm like, I want to know how they did this. Yeah. I would start <laughs> with a four pound hammer at six in the morning. And by third or four o'clock in the afternoon, I was down to a two pound hammer. But, but and then you, I just call it. A have day. you noticed in the past two years, your forearms are getting bigger? Yeah. Like Popeye. Like Popeye. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, so I, I did it, and it was a neat experience. But after that, I said, I'm getting a press so I can move some steel. Now I can move that steel in, you know, in 15 minutes. Yeah. With a big press. So, so yeah, I bet guys come hang over, hang out. And, but and you worked I'm your like, way up to all that. You kind of started off with the basic, learned that, and then you've moved up to, to this higher-end equipment stuff. I learn every day. I never quit learning. We should never, as humans, we should never quit learning. Always strive to, you know, to read and learn and make yourself a better human being. As and Paul Paul Markle says, you're a beginner once, but you're a student for life. Yes, sir. Yes. Amen to that. Yeah, so last October, I was like, so I started researching and I said, man, there aren't any, like, 
nonprofits, you know, that where a vet or a first responder could go because, you know, police officers craft their suicide rates almost as high as GIs now. Yeah, it is. First, first responders and EMTs yeah, and all that. firefighters yeah. and EMT and police officers. Yeah, it's way higher. So, and I just, there, I couldn't find one. I says, by golly, I said, I'm going to start a nonprofit and I'm going to call it Blades for Brothers and I'm going to bring in vets and first responders and show them how to make a knife. That's and that's awesome. what I've been doing. Attention business owners, are you ready to take your marketing game to the next level? Look no further than Black Tie Digital Marketing, the firearm-friendly, full-service agency that delivers results. We've worked with industry giants like Keltech, Spikes Tactical, and Armalite, and we even designed the kick-ass new logo at Talkin' Lead. At Black Tie, we blend creativity and data-driven strategies to ensure your message hits the mark every time. From high-end custom websites, graphic design, to inbound marketing campaigns, and everything in between, we've got you covered. Your success is our priority. Join the ranks of the industry's top players and give your business the boost it deserves. Experience the power of Black Tie today. Visit blacktiedigital.com or call 1-800-316-8030 to schedule your free consultation. That's Black Tie Digital Marketing, where firepower meets marketing power. Black Tie Digital Marketing is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. You know what would be cool? This is just me thinking. You may you may be doing this. You know, you, you say you bring in firemen and police officers and um, military men and women. And what got me thinking about this when you were talking about the helicopters, and I said the helicopter blade, you should make a knife out of, like, pieces of old decommissioned helicopters that people served. You mean like this? Like you already done? Look at that. Yeah. What is that? So, now what, tell, tell us what we're looking at. So this is Damascus. this is what I call my war steel collection. I, I, I went out to Steve Schwartz's and I told him the story and John Horrigan and a couple others what, what my intent was. Anyway, so I got shot down in 2004 in Iraq, and I came into the ownership of the 12 minigun barrels off of my miniguns. Oh. And a couple other pieces and parts, like a piece <laughs> of the rotor blade and, and the vertical off the T-tail. So on our aircraft, the, the tail like, looks like a T, so I got the vertical off of it after the crash and stuff so anyway so i carried that i carried that stuff around with me for years and i actually had reached out to greg medford medford knife and tool yeah. years ago yeah and he, he made some some blades out of out of some of the barrels a folder oh cool and i think i think i got like 10 or 11 of them total but i sent them to the guys that were with me on the ground that day as a you know souvenir or whatever and Yep. Yep. And, uh, so I, I, I was like, man, now that I'm into knife making and, you know, kind of back into studying metallurgy and those things. And I, I talked to Steve Schwarzer and I, I told him what I wanted to do. I said, I'm going to make some blades that I can auction and then donate the money. I said, and I've got these mini gun barrels. Well, gun barrels, are made from these are 4130 steel 
and they've got a lot of chromium in them. Plus, the barrels have a chrome liner in them. Mm-hmm. So you got to get rid of the chrome liner. So I did that. I chopped them up in about one-inch pieces, I guess. I had a few left over. Went out to Steve's, and we forge-welded those things. And it was actually in September. And on September 11th, I was there at Steve and Laura Schwartz's shop, and they brought me a big piece of steel from the World Trade Center. And says, hey, we want to gift this to you on 9-11, and we want you to put this into the steel that you're making. Oh, man, it just ripped my heart out. I was so honored, you know, for them to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So we made this giant billet. I've got I got four blades. So this one's called the Leon. This the these are going like I don't know three thousand layers, something crazy of folded steel. Wow. So I made this handle. Well, you can see it. I used epoxy, and but in these handles is a piece of the tail, piece of the T tail on one side. This side has a piece of the main rotor blade in it. I just cut them out. This is a button off of one of the 762 bullets that were recovered from the crash site. This is a piece of my flight suit I was wearing that day. <laughs> that is awesome. And then I've got, I, I put this a 762 bullet that was recovered from the crash site. Yeah. This is a 762 link. And this is all in the handle, guys, that he's, that he's describing here. It's all in the hand. And I made this. I used epoxy in a form. It took me many, many attempts to finally get it right because I had I don't have a clue what I'm doing, man. I just do it. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it really turned out cool. So this is one of my this is one of my auction blades that I've got. You can go on my website, bladesforbrothers.com, and all the information is on it. And uh, this one, I named my knives after my buddies that I served with or that we've lost. So this one's called the Leon. The Leon? Okay. Matt Sergeant Leon Hansen took his life in June of 2015, a uh, former Delta guy. And uh, Now, is that so the that's one the, that's made from the, the barrel, the gun barrel? Gun barrel and World Trade Center. And World Trade Center. And how many knives did you make from those? I made four. So here's – this one is my EDC – I call it the mini bob, the same steel, Damascus. That's a mini bob. And then this is the bob. The bob, the mini bob, the bob. Yeah, I served with Bob. He was in Delta. He was killed in Iraq in 2005. And what's what's in the grip on that one? So this one I call the Purple Heart. So this is Purple Heart Wood. Okay, and then these are my miniature purple hearts that I embedded into the handles. Nice. Very nice. So, yes, that's the purple heart. And then this is my favorite. This is the six-gun dagger. Oh, look at that. That is awesome. So, yeah. You got like a coffin handle on that one? Yes, sir. Got a coffin handle. I made made all these stacks and hand guard and and uh and then i went to a knife show this spring my first big knife show and that one best dagger of show look at that (laughs) 
already winning rewards and awards. <laughs> I've been making knives for like a year. And, and a guy asked, the guy asked, he'd call my name, you know, and everybody was telling me, they were like, bro, you got to put that knife in there. You got to put it in. I was like, no, man, I'm a nobody. You know, they're forged and fire champions at this. There's probably 10 or 12 of them at this big knife <laughs> show in South Texas, you know, and world-renowned knife makers. I'm like, oh, finally, Jared, Jared and I were down there together, my wife, Edie, and he's like, dude, if you don't put that thing in, I'm going to go put it in. And sure enough, it won Dagger of the Show. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, the, the dude, he's like, you know, congratulations, Greg. And he's like, how long have you been making knives? And I said, oh, about a year. <laughs> he goes, I hate you, man. Because <laughs> a dagger, the dagger is the most difficult to grind. Because you got, you've got four sides, you know, and you got to center all these lines up. And, and I'm a real attention to detail kind of guy. It's just from being an aviator and pilot. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, I was... I was real proud, real proud of this one too. So they're all they're all they're all made out of war steel. So mini gun barrels and World Trade Center steel. Would uh, propellers be a good thing to make uh, knives out of? No, they're sheet metal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing on a helicopter. I don't, except for the gun barrels. You know, if you if you fly a gun bird, because that's yeah, that's the only real steel that's on. I guess. The gear, landing gear, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Skids, the skids, yeah, yes, maybe. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. But I was saying, yeah, like, like if a, uh, you know, a firefighter or somebody sits you like a piece of their, uh, fire engine or you know something like that, or what about yeah. a badge? Is a badge something? Can you make a? Is a badge something you can make a knife out of? That no, wrong kind of steel. It, it'd be either stainless steel or a high carbon steel. Yeah, I don't know what they 80, make badges out of, so I don't know. Eighty percent carbon or higher. Yeah. So, but that, I mean, yeah, that's a nice tribute that you did there. So these knives that you just talked about, those are going to be going uh, for auctions that you said. Yes, sir. On your website. Yeah, they're on my website. Okay. Or I'll sell them. You know, if the price is right. So I'm going to screen share here, Greg. Bring up your sure. website here, and it's Blades for Brothers. As uh, we're talking, you guys can go check it out. It's B-L-A-D-E-S-4, F-O-R, Brothers, B-R-O-T-H-E-R-S dot com. And uh, this is your this is your company. This is your non, you're in your wife's nonprofit. Yes, correct. Company. So every penny goes back into it, or like I raised some money this year and I had a couple vets came in, you know, teach them how to forge, make knives. And I bought grinders for them. So two by 72 grinders and then gifted them to those combat vets. Yeah. One's a Marine, one's army engineer, purple heart recipient, Matt Chuck. And yeah, so that was, that was cool, man. Uh, Wilmot Grinders, I, I got one from Chris Williams, and then the other grinder came from Outlaw Grinders. Matt Humphreys and the Slip Joint Cartel donated that one to us. Slip I, Joint Cartel, I like that yeah, name. Yeah, those are pocket knives. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. All right, so I got to ask you, how'd you get the nickname, Gravy? It's in the book. Yeah, okay, so they got to get the book to find that out? 
Yeah. Now, this is a nice dagger. I like this. That was my first. This is yeah. your first one? First one. Like, it looks kind of old, like World War II-ish kind of deal. It does, man. It turned out, again, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to do it. And I've got piles and piles of steel that I've ruined or broke or didn't do right. Or, yeah. But that's all part of the process, man. That's how you learn. Oh, absolutely. So are you doing these specifically for... Um, for veterans, for first responders, for military men and women, um, everything is a hundred percent of this goes to them. Is that what you're saying? Everything you make well, from this, these, the blades that I make, okay, I it they get sold for a donation, and then that money goes back into Blades for Brothers. Or I buy equipment and steel and stuff for the vets and first responders that come in and make a knife. Okay. So you've got like a, a workshop for them to come in and and learn the trade. Yes. Nice. Yep. And that's what the new shop is huge, man. I yeah, I, I wish I could have taken you out there to it, but it's yeah, it's five times the size of or my little shop now. Like I said earlier, it's it's going to have a bunkhouse in it. So, you know, it usually takes a couple of days or if a guy wants to come out and make a knife, spend two or three days, and we'll go shoot some pigs or we'll go. I got a couple of ranges here at our place. We have 60 acres here. So, yeah. So I'm looking yeah. at the, the ones you just showed me. Um, <laughs> if you guys go to his website, go to the uh, War Steel Collection. Yeah, section there. Each of those is there, and it's got the reserve price. And then, is there a place on here where they can go and, and bid on these? Yeah, they just, I, in the instructions, you can send me an email. Okay, just send an email. Yep. And these yep. are these are one of a kinds. That's the, it. The There's only no more ones. of that steel on the planet, and there never will be. And there never will be. That's amazing. I I didn't price them i took again i went to the experts in this industry and you know and they a couple of them are like well what do you think you should get for them i said man if i could get like three or four thousand dollars for all four that'd be cool <laughs> and they're like you're stupid yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that one that these priced at twenty thousand dollars for that knife the leon yeah we were talking about the leon earlier uh master sergeant <laughs> leon hansen yep yeah, but like you said, I mean, this is this is steel that was actually used in a Little Bird and the Trade Center, the World Trade Center. Yes, sir. Mixed yep. together, yeah. I mean, that's you're never get. This is a one of a kind, never to exist again no. opportunity. And I think, yeah, even those prices are low. Yeah, that's what they told me for these. But, but they're beautiful knives. I mean, you do beautiful work. Thank you. Now, if, if Joe Schmo like me want to wants to buy uh, a knife from you, do you have some that are already made, or is this something I got to get in touch with you and we got to do a custom? No, you just you go on the website there. It's under um, shop. Yes, shop. And there's examples of my normal blades that I want that I, you know, that you would want, and then you yeah. just order them. 
Now, I know Jared said that, you know, he makes – he always kind of keeps a few ahead of, you know, kind of demand, so he's got Wish some. I could. I can't make them <laughs> fast enough, brother. I cannot. So but. these these are – it's like if I ordered this one right now, I would have to wait for you to make it. Yep. Okay. Yes, all right. I'm, yeah, just, I'm just, trying to build expectations I, for people. Yes. Yeah. And I and I tell folks, hey, six to eight weeks from the time you order. Oh, I mean that's not can. bad turn time at all. No, and, and most of the time I can ship in two to three. But like this last group, I had eleven knives that I finished and shipped yesterday. And a couple of them were at seven weeks. One of them was at two weeks. Yeah, so it just depends it just on how depends well on the how... the forging goes that day, right? Yes, sir. I like yeah, your I mean, dagger. I really like your dagger. I mean, I can see how you won yeah. that uh, award. That there. thing's been a hot selling item here lately. And those, those take a lot of time. Do they? To make yes, sir. It's because, like yes. you said, the four sides, and you've got the this, yes, sir. Is that? I don't want to. Is it spine? Is that what that is? Yeah, on the on the spine there, and the yeah, where the two blades meet. And these are and full. I actually, have a new design dagger, and it's even it's better looking than that one. These are all full tang too, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, they people ask me they're like, "Why don't you make half tang knives?" I said, "Well, I had two when I was a kid. Yeah, never skinning knives, and both those suckers broke. Yeah, they always break." And I said, you know what? I'll never, I'll only make full tang knives. Only. Good for you. So, that's what you get. I'll, uh, I'll back that 100%. Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean, they look cool and all. And, you know, you look at the old buoys and, I mean, a lot of half tang, hidden tang knives were made. And I think it was mainly to save steel. You know, maybe they didn't have enough mm-hmm. steel to do a full tang or, when they hammer forged it out, it wasn't long enough to be a, I don't know, that, that's kind of my All theory. kinds of different reasons why, probably. But yeah, yeah sure. nothing like a yeah, full tang. You only get a full tang knife from me. <laughs> now I want to rewind a little bit because we were doing some conversation there and you mentioned that you were shot down. Yes. In 2004? Yes, 19 March 2004 at... 1305 hours local is that something you can can you, can you talk tell that story sure yeah i've told it a bunch okay well, I, did, I haven't heard it yet so tell it to me this is my first yeah. time hearing it oh man you haven't read the book i should have i haven't i don't i don't have the book yet i need to get the book it's on my list yeah. on my, i've been so you've heard of uh jim shockey haven't you oh yes yeah yeah i met him a couple times at shop show yeah so he wrote a book yes and it's um, it's coming out, uh, I think next month, October. And he's had some some tragedy, you know, strike yes. his family here recently. His wife yes. passed away. You know, I just condolences oh, and prayers to to Jim. And we've had to reschedule yes. a couple of times, but um, I just got through this book, and it's man, it's not like anything you would expect. You know, if you say, "Hey, I'm reading a book from Jim Shockey," it's like Oh, wow! This is like a psychological thriller right here, man. Oh, cool! It's it's really good. It's fiction, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's I'll really get good. it, read it, or listen to it. I like to listen to audibles because I'm in a shop and 
like putting my air pro in, you know, and yeah. To a book. Yeah. I'm, I'm down with that too. I feel I'm old school. I like to hold a book in my hand and, you know, read it. And I think I got, yeah, this is, it just takes too much time. <laughs> this is one of the hardbacks and nice death waits in the dark. Back to the book. Yeah. I had, I did a special edition hardback, which was, I did a thousand of them and well, I did 500 first and you got a coin. The coin was numbered and the book was numbered. Oh, sweet. And of course it was signed by me and I kept a few, a really good friend of mine. He's a Texas Ranger here. And he, he said, I was back in the spring. He goes, Hey, I need a couple of books. And I said, for what? <laughs> he said, I need a couple of books. So he came by and got them. And so I've got two of these. Every Texas Ranger in the state signed this book. Oh, that is awesome, man. Yeah. So I'll, I'll probably auction this off next year. That's cool. <laughs> and maybe put a special knife with it, like a Texas Ranger yeah. knife. Yes. Yep. That's the plan. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. And uh, again, on the book, I made the decision to donate every penny of book sales. And I did. And we've donated $57,000 to date from book wow. sales. Congratulations. <laughs> that is awesome, brother. And yeah, how long has the cool. book been out? It's cool. How long has your book been out? More books. So... I actually, I wasn't 100% satisfied with, oh, I guess the editing. So I, I researched back last year, actually, found an editing company mm -hmm. and had it re-edited. And it's complete now. So I'm praying that this winter I will get them reprinted. Okay. It'll be second edition. Uh, same story, but... It's just, I think it, it flows a lot better. It's, I used a lot of acronyms and we, we kind of got in a hurry there at the end. We got excited, you know, Hey, this thing has come to fruition. Let's get it done. Let's get it out there. And yeah, so I got, I got in too big a hurry and <laughs> we, we cleaned it up a bunch and the, uh, yeah, the crew that, that did the editing man did an awesome, awesome job. The, the chief editor's actually a retired colonel from the army, and uh, yeah, they they just did a fantastic job, and I'm excited. But now, now I know I that you, you know you being special forces, being in the military, that uh, your books have to go through a different process than you know the normal writers. You've got to go through governmental uh, approval. No, you, don't. you don't have to. No. Oh, I no. thought you did. I did a lot of research and you know, when I made the decision to do this course, then I had to find an editor. I had to find a printing company and I looked into publishers. So what I found was that these, these publishing companies, they keep 70 to 80% of your royalties. I said, no, I'm not doing that. That's not in my plan. I want to make money and give it away to help my brothers and their families and their kids. So I self published. Okay. And 
yeah, I, I mean, I educated myself on the process and, of course, Amazon, which we have now, uh, helped a bunch. But, yeah, through social media, I probably sold 80% of the first hard – the hardback sold out in, like, less than 20 days after I announced it. And that was pre-sale. I didn't even have a book in hand. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was really, really good. But, yeah, so I self-published the thing and – it, it's i shipped them i took the orders it's a lot of a lot of work and but i've are been these thinking in, about, in any bookstores at all or no got strictly mm-hmm. online they're yeah those are publishing companies and again they want if you go to a bookstore you know they want money they want your money they want your royalty i mean and at, at the last probably the last thousand softbacks i just I just didn't have time anymore because it was every day. I'd get a, I put it on Amazon, and but I would take care of all the shipping. You know, they they didn't have to do anything but yeah. advertise. And they still charge me every book I sold. They get a well, percentage. Then, yeah, and then at the end, uh, it doesn't go on Prime unless it's sold on Amazon. And I was like, oh, crap, man, I could reach a whole lot more folks. you know. If it, and I did that. Well, Amazon keeps 50% of what I sell the book for. What? Yep. That's the truth. That's the truth. Criminals. This next one, I'm going to do it all myself or get somebody here local to help. And Yeah, because that's, man, that's just a ton of money that they took away from people that I'm trying to help from nonprofits and well I mean it's just taken away from you from you from your money yeah absolutely now I didn't make any I haven't kept a dime of any of this man I paid for you know printing and editing and stuff like that no but, yeah no I get that I get that but I didn't realize that that's crazy so on top of if you had a publisher if you went through one of these publishing companies so you'd be losing out to them and if it sold on Amazon then you'd be losing even more yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. And then it hit me one day. I'm like, oh, that's why these top authors, they have to write four and five books a year, man. Or they're eating beanie weenies, you know, and yeah. riding their bike to, to work or whatever. But well, some of I, them are doing pretty well. I, mean, I don't know. I had Brad Thor on. Do you know Brad? Yes. I've actually had dinner with that man some years ago. Okay. Yeah. I had him on uh, earlier this year. He just oh, released Christ. his next book, Deadfall. Yeah, man, he's dang, that guy's on fire. He's a good writer too. I like. Yeah, Brad. Yeah, I, had, I met with him in Dallas or Scott Harvest. Yes, sir. And uh, talk about weapons that were going in his book, and yeah, I mean, he does a lot of research and he gets the right information. Yeah. And but yeah, I was pretty honored that yeah he yeah, he, he lives here in Nashville me. too. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. so you're doing all the the publishing and everything on these books. Hunter, which do you have like a an organization that it's going to, or do you just decide where it's going to go for your donations? No, I decided to split it up. Share I'll send five, six thousand dollars here, and five, six thousand here, two thousand here, three thousand there. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to I wanted everybody to have a little piece of the pie, and it is funny. I'd get phone calls and be like, "Greg, what's this check for?" I said, "It's a donation, <laughs> dumbass." <laughs> They're like, oh, "Okay, yeah, yeah." 
So that's, with the book, all the proceeds are going there. You've got the the Blades for Brothers again, mm-hmm. another nonprofit that you've set up. Um, when did and I asked this earlier? I don't know if you heard me. When did you release the book? When was the book? Um, it out? was two years ago in August, I think. Yeah, just two years ago. Okay, so everything in your life happened about two years ago. <laughs> you yeah, started for no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you started foraging. Fun. You did the book, um, and it didn't take you long. You said to to write the book once you. Well, I got bored. So My now wife was like, "What are you going to do now?" Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's. Maybe I'll go make knives. You're like, Jerry. my buddy Jerry's over here. He's got a forge. Maybe I'll go check that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we sold, the book sold over 10,000 copies. And I'm just, I was so excited that, you know, it did that. And, I mean, they, they've, last I checked, there's almost 5,000 sold copies of Audible were sold. And Kindle's probably two or 3,000. Yeah. But so it's. They're getting a chunk get, of that, though, right? Amazon's getting their their chunk. Oh of that. yeah, man, they're getting their cut. But so I, I looked it up one day and I typed in Google. You know, like what's the average? What's the average self publisher, first time writer? How many books do they sell? And I mean, it, it popped right up. Had all these experts, you know, editors and writers and and for a First-time writer that self-publishes, just take a guess how many books they sell for the life of that book. A first-time that does everything themselves? Yes. <sighs> writer, publisher. For the sell. life of the book? For the life of the book. How many books do you think they sell? Uh, I would say on average probably 5,000. Between three and 500. For the life of the book the life of the book we sold ten thousand in two years less than two years wow so you yeah that's pretty cool there with that bell curve (laughs) i was blown away but just imagine though if you had a publisher how many you'd sell oh man it'd been crazy millions you know i would only gain what ten thousand dollars maybe i don't (laughs) know i don't know that's crazy seven thousand I've seen some of these uh, lifestyles that some of these authors and writers make, so they're making pretty good money. So I don't know. Sure. I don't know how they do it. But so you, your second book you wrote with your daughter, and it's a children's book. Is that out yet? Yes, it's been out too for about eighteen months. It's called Vias for Veteran. It's okay. a picture book, alphabet book. Okay. So we talk about we talk about our core values. Hmm. Go figure. Like the Constitution, C for Constitution, you know, those types of things. And it you can get it through, I always get this wrong, it's called Punkin Duger Publishing. Punkin Duger Publishing. P-U-N-K-I-N? U-K-I-N. I mean, I'll look it up right quick. Punkin. Never Dug- get it right. Duggar. What's the name of the book? V? v for veteran. Punkadugger, here we go. PKD Publishing. PKD Publishing, there it is right there. Yeah, and yeah he, there it is, first page. V is for veteran. Yeah, he's a good friend of ours, and, and he writes a bunch of children's books. 
And they're just awesome, awesome. Dancy Creel? Dancy Creel, Miss Dancy, yes. Okay. Dancy Creel, Gregory yeah. Coker, yeah. Kyle yes. Wagner. Kyle, yes, sir. Where's your daughter's name on there? Dancy Creel. Oh, that's Dan. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's my wife's daughter. Dancy. That's a Dan- unique name. Yes. She's an incredible young woman. She is. So you guys can go to you can go to Amazon and get this, or can you get it from that publisher that you you mentioned? Yes. Yes. And you I'm don't have do- to give um, Amazon <laughs> the money. That's right. Punkin yeah. Dooger, P-U-N-K-I-N-D-O-O-G-E-R, Leadheads. Dooger. And yeah. it's on sale for $17.99 right now. Yes, sir. Yep. That gentleman on the cover, he was in the Navy as a World War II vet that Dancy had met up in Wichita Falls. Wichita? Yep, Wichita. Wichita. Wichita Falls. The Alphabet Picture Book is a nod to the many soldiers past, present, and future in the armed forces of the USA by highlighting the virtues of our American heroes. Vias for Veterans serves as a unique character education useful to all readers. While your little heroes watch the art-filled pages come to life, V for Veteran provides interesting facts and tidbits for older readers as well, making this a unique book for all ages. Yes. Yeah, it's very educational. B is for bravery. But you see the QR code. Yeah. Every right page has a QR code. Okay. And you, you scan that code with your phone, and then it takes you to the website and gives you more detailed, in-depth information on that word. Oh, where's the website? Uh, I'm, I don't know if Kyle set that up or he had somebody set it up, but, yeah, you can scan that QR code. Oh, no, and I'm going to scan it. To- yeah, it's really cool. It's unique. So it's just a way to, you know, to get out more information because you only have so much room on a page. But it's 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 actually genius because kids nowadays, even the young kids, are just yeah. infatuated with phones. Yes. And this actually gives them something it's educational educational to do with their stupid phones. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, it's not working. Hold on. Oh, they need to check that QR code. It's not working. Oh, okay. But it, it goes to Punk and Dugger is what it says it's going to is this. Okay. This, uh, your publisher's website here. But, yeah, I like that idea. They just need to get it to work, make sure that the, the links are still working. And this came yes. out, when did this come out? Oh, about a year and a half ago. Okay. Yes. Yeah, about eighteen months ago. Very cool. So there, yeah. there's a great book for your little ones, Leadhead. Go yes. check them out. Uh, Punkinduger.com. Yeah, your kids, your grandkids, even even your grown up people, like it says. Yes. Absolutely. What do they have for Z? <laughs> what's what's Z? What Z? Oh, Zulu, I think. Time. For time, Zulu? Okay. Thank. <laughs> I don't remember, man. I'd have to look it up. You've made too many go. knives since then. Yes, sir. Yeah. 
The Kiltec KSG410 is the perfect sidekick with no kick. At just over an inch and a half wide, just over 26 inches long, and just over 5 pounds, you'll be hard-pressed to find a more impressive 410 bore shotgun. In fact, it's the world's first and only pump-action 410 bore bullpup shotgun. The side-by-side dual-feeding tubes and one in the chamber delivers an impressive 11-round total capacity, making it as functional as it is fun. Innovation. Performance. Keltec. Keltec is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. So yeah, we fun didn't fun. talk about the crash, so let's get back to the crash. We we chase squirrels on this show, Greg. <laughs> yes, we do. Now I want to get one thing clear. All right. I did not crash. I got shot down. Okay. You didn't screw all the poop. My buddies, all my buddies said, like, hey, Gravy, tell us about your crash. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't crash. <laughs> I got shot down. That's different. So, okay, so... And I'll proceed it with 18 March 2004. So we're operating in Fallujah, Ramadi, real heavy. The insurgency is building. It started about October, November 03. You know, everybody came to jihad against the Americans. That's We were all centrally located. So the terrorists were like, well, heck, let's just go there and fight them, you know? So we started to see a big influx of... of uh, Terrorists, yes, in Iraq. So, gosh, man, we've been we've been going and blowing for days, and we hit a target in Fallujah. Well, we hit several. We'd hit, depending on winter or summer, and this was you know late winter, so we could hit five, six, seven targets a night because we have more darkness yeah. than we do in the summertime. Summertime, we're lucky to hit four. And you guys only operate at night because you are the night stalkers. Yes, we are not day stalkers. We are <laughs> night stalkers. So, yeah. And the units we support are also night fighters. So, yeah. So, we got some intel off of the target that another high-value terrorist we were hunting was going to be at a meeting at 10 o'clock that morning in Fallujah. Okay. Now let me set the stage for Fallujah, Iraq in 2004. Okay. It was the wild, wild west. I mean, it was crazy. We were in gunfights every night, every night, multiple times per night. And so from, I'm going to try to draw a picture for you. So if you look at Fallujah and then west to Ramadi and then kind of southeast down to Amarita, that makes a triangle. Here, let me okay. pull up a map. Sure. Spell Fallujah. F-A-L-L. It's spelled different a couple of ways. Uh, U-J-A, there it is. Yeah. Fallujah. Let's go to Maps. All right, Fallujah to to and Ram- then west to Ramadi. There's Ramadi, yeah, and then kind of s- to the southeast, just east of the lake. There's a little town called Amaria. I don't even know if it'd be on there. It's Keep right going there. down south. 
Not that far south. There's a Al Rahala. No. no, it's further north than there. Yeah, it's kind of small. Yeah, they're not there, there was a lot, of, a lot of terrorists. So some, there. something like triangle. this. Yep. So in that triangle, God, there were thousands of foreign fighters. Thousands. Right. So we get, you know, intel hunting Al Qaeda networks. So we hit a target in Fallujah that night. Got intel. There's this high value target we were hunting. He was going to be at a meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning on the 19th in Fallujah. Right. Of course, we were like, oh, God, daytime. No, no, no. Anyway, so troop commander, sergeant major, they're like, hey, here's what we're going to do. AHs, you guys just, we had a little staging area just east of Fallujah. It's like, you guys just stay here, crank up, and then we're going to go hit the target. And if we need fire support, we'll call you. And we could be there in you know, a couple minutes. Right pretty quick so that's what we did they hit that target they got some more intel that a, another dude we were hunting was in Amaria down south so Sergeant Major said hey AHs you guys go back to Baghdad and get some rest and we, like I said we've been going non-stop for days and days and days so we're like roger that so they, the ground force said, hey, we're just going to drive down there and kill the guy, and then we're going to go back to Baghdad. Okay. So we go back to Baghdad, and it was, I don't know, around 1230-ish that guys came running in and said, hey, they, they, uh, the recce guys got hit. They're in a tick. Troops in contact, a TIC. We just call it a tick. Tick. It okay. stands for troops in contact. So they'd been ambushed. So the four of us, we ran out to our ages, cranked up, you know, it was a 10 minute flight, 10, 12 minute flight out there to them. So we get on station and uh, start holding. We make comms with the ground force. And it, it was, uh, it was B squadron Delta. And, you know, trying to get an update or a situation report. And is everybody okay? And yeah, and we did a couple engagements. Dudes were trying to flank, it appeared, and engaged them, terminated them. And then, you know, we were all just like, God, man, daytime. We're in the worst possible place on earth yeah. right now for bad guys. And we're in little black helicopters. Oh, gosh, I remember on October 3rd, 1993, in a little place called Mogadishu, Somalia. Oh. Same thing. Day hit, Black Hawk down. Ugh. And for me personally, I mean, the hair, when I cranked my helicopter, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I was like, man, okay, we're going. And my co-pilot, he was brand new. I mean, brand, brand new to the company, but we were just, we were short guys. And, you know, there's at any one time, there's only, I think then there are only 22 men on the planet that do what we do. And that's fly a six attack helicopters, providing special operations ground forces with surgical 
precision fire support. We are fire supporters. You have a very specific job. Very specific. And the ground force has full faith and confidence in our abilities to shoot extremely close to them. Okay. We train with live people running on the ground. We train with live ammo. Every training iteration is a live fire. That's how we train. And that's why they are the best on the planet, bar none. I spent 15 years there. And oh, by the way, we're also very, very close. We love one another very much. And and we always know that if anything bad happens to us, they will come get us. And they know if anything bad happens to them, like today, we're going to come help you. We're going to come get you. So kind of an unwritten rule between us. And, you know, just flying out there, man, I mean, I was just hypersensitive. Of course, I hate flying during the daytime. It's scary. I like... I like those tubes in front of my eyes and my world's green. I am safe. I actually fly better at night. <laughs> night vision goggles. You probably got, got more hours fun. with those, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Probably got more hours like flying with nods hours. than not. Yeah, I got I got over six thousand hours flying on MBGs. Holy shit. Yeah. I got more time under MBGs than most guys have flying. Yeah. Anyway. Um yeah, so it, everybody was hypersensitive, but the, but the guys were in trouble, and we didn't have a clear picture of what was going on on the ground. You know, had they taken casualties? Did they need to break contact? How big a force? So we hauled ass, man. We and where are you picking them up board. at again? Pardon? Where are you where are you hauling ass to? Down to Amaria, that, where that where that, that recce team went to go kill that guy. Down south of that lake there. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. South of Fallujah. I think it was about 14 miles, something like that, from south of Fallujah. And we were in Baghdad at Baghdad International Airport. That's where we were all living then. Okay. And then we later on in like 05 moved up to Balad. Anyway. So, yeah, and I, I told my co pilot or in our SOP and B company, whoever's not flying, you've got your M4 up ready to engage or suppress. Or, right. That's just how we do business. And I told him, I said, dude, I said, you, if you even think, man, I want you to start suppressing or shooting them. And, and we do have a training program that, that I actually developed back in the early 90s. It's called HARM, Helicopter Aerial Rifle Marksmanship. And I can guarantee a first shot hit at 80 knots and 100 yards from a target shooting out of a moving object. So there, there's some science to it. But anyway, and we train that stuff all the time. But so we get on station and make make communication, make comms with the ground force and get a situation report, what's going on. And they had all they had done what they needed to do and they were all lined up on a on this road and and now we're just in overwatch. We're just we fly a circle around whoever we're protecting. Right. They had two panders, which is an armored, big six-wheeled armored vehicle, and then they had three gun trucks, so they're Humvees, up armored, and then they have 50s, and then one truck had dual 240s in it, and then the Rangers manned those guns. 
in the trucks. So, yeah, we're overhead and we're just we're doing close reconnaissance or reckeys, you know, make sure nobody's trying to get to them or flank them or do whatever. And, and it was about one thirteen fifteen, so one fifteen p.m. Iraq time, and the troop commander just called and said, "Hey, we're going, we're going to the house." We're like, Whew, "Roger that, man. Let's get this <laughs> hell out of here, dude. It's I mean, it's a bad, bad place." Yeah. So we're exposed here. Get us out of here. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I did. I kept thinking of, you know. Mike Grant and Shugart and Gordo and all those guys that Elvis, all those guys that were, you know, there in the Moog that day. And I was like, doggone, man, we've got to get out of here. Of course, I was, I was probably 10 feet off the deck and I'd pop up. And I'd, I didn't want to, you know, straighten level. We both moving target so they can't hit you. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're, that's what we do and we're trying to do keeps us alive. And I, and I just, I, I come around and I did a real low pass over the trucks, you know, and I was turning up on the side and we, you know, we kind of wave at each other and, and then we go on. And, and uh, so I, I'd done that and I was in a climbing right hand turn. I was about 165 feet and heading to the Southwest and just, all of a sudden, man, just this explosion. I mean, a big explosion. I, I've been in mortar attacks and rocket attacks and been hit by that fragmentation and stuff. But, and then just the whole aircraft shook. But And then this white hot <laughs> rod about three meters long went right, I mean, right by my right. Ear. I had my helmet on, but right. went right by my head. Okay, Leadhead, so that does it for part one of the Greg Coker interview. Hope you enjoyed that, and I kind of left you hanging there on the end. So so we pick up with his story about his downed AH-6, and uh, we've got lots more stories in part two to go along with that. More about his book, more about his knife-making Uh, And then we also answer the listener questions. So make sure you don't miss part two. And again, go and show all of our sponsors the love from the Leadhead Brigade and especially our newest sponsor, Whiskey River Beef. Hit them up on the Instagram at Whiskey River Life and let them know you heard about them here. Until the next episode, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close and keep those daggum firearms closer.